Welcome back, Bucket Busters. I'm your host, Tim Johnson, and this is the Busted Bucket Podcast. Locally grown here in Portland, Oregon, the city of roses, city of bridges, Stumptown PDX. This is a show dedicated to yes, Rip I'm City ready. and everyone who loves Portland basketball. Joining me is my co-host, Eric, the Encyclopedia Foster. All right, Eric, we got a great show today, and I'm going to tell you why. We got a special guest yet again, but this time it's an eight-year NBA vet, and he was part of Portland's broadcasting team from 05 to 2016. Eric, please welcome Antonio Harvey. Tone, welcome to the show, man. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. Of course, of course. Um, So, Tone, I sent you a list of questions we were going to ask you. and uh, I, I hope you looked them over. I hope that uh, you've done your due diligence. But there's one question I didn't send over to you, and it's it's kind of a banger. So I hope you're ready for it. Well, we'll see. Let's see what it is. <laughs> all right. It's it's a question we ask all our guests that come on the show, actually. But for you, I had to modify it a little bit. But here we go. Um, as a player, who do you fear most, MJ or Braun? Oh, man. <laughs> like, like, I mean, come on. Like, I don't even know why that's a question being asked. I, mean, I do know why. I just don't understand why. Um, six championships uh, in six years. I, I don't want to hear about how long it took him to get there and wada, wada, yada, yada, whatever. It was six championships in six years first. Then guys were afraid of MJ. Like, I remember guys having Jordanitis. Like, oh, my throat's hurting. My (laughs) hamstring is pulled. My ankle is bothering me. But you don't hear that about LeBron. The only two players that I can remember, like, struck the kind of fear where guys didn't want to play. MJ and Shaq. Mm -hmm. The only two players that literally made you not want to take the court when they came to your arena or you went to theirs. Hey, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, talk about two of... I mean, in my opinion, Shaq is the greatest center besides Wilt. I mean, I never got to see Wilt. But as far as the guys that I've seen, greatest center, most dominant center I've ever seen in my entire life. You know, it's an interesting thing with Shaq. I don't I don't call him the greatest center because he wasn't, he wasn't like super dedicated. He was just so strong and big but he was the most dominant, Mm -hmm. right? I think Wilt can be certainly put in there as the greatest. I think you could even put Dream in there Mm -hmm. as the greatest. But when we talk about a guy that dominated the game, Shaq might be all-time greatest when it comes to dominating the game of basketball. I think you'd be hard-pressed to find a guy other than Wilt who dominated the game like he did. Yeah, yeah, I'll agree. But, um, you know, you you played with some pretty good – good players here uh some pretty big names uh you were with the blazers let's let's just dive into the blazers first uh you were with the blazers from 99 to 01 is that correct correct so you play with the likes of sean kemp scotty pippen yep. steve yep. smith and arvidas sabonis where does arvidas rank up there oh skill wise arvidas is probably top five all time yeah um I, yeah obviously from the NBA level, we never got a chance to see Sabas at his best mm-hmm. because he was so banged up by the time he got to the U.S. 
But watching him play as a young dude in the 80s, late 80s, early 90s, he was so dominant, it was ridiculous. Like nobody did what he did at his size with his athletic ability. Uh, imagine somebody crossing a, a what is it, a, 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 a perimeter oriented center with David Robinson's athletic ability. That's essentially what you had in in Savas. He was he was he was unlike anything the league had ever seen. How impressive was he in practice? In practice, when you watched him, knowing the Achilles injury, the ankles injuries, I mean, what was it like watching a guy that probably could qualify for a handicap permit just do work in the NBA? Well, and that's what was crazy is you knew he was older, you knew he was beat to death, and yet he could still put in work. The two things that were really difficult with Savas, one was his ability to shoot the ball from the perimeter, but then two was that hook shot. You couldn't do anything with that hook shot. He shot it from so far outside his body that you were just at his mercy when he wanted to, to get it off. But as far as practice goes, you know, Savas didn't really practice that much because of the injuries. Mm -hmm. And if I'm being honest, that gave rise to Jermaine O'Neal. If I had to say, I would say probably J.O. was the most dominant day in and day out player in practice. Uh, but with Sabis and B.G. and she, it was just hard to find minutes for J.O. because he was so young. Mm -hmm. uh, as far as I mean, going back to Sabis, as far as uh, passing ability, I mean, the passing skills on the team, he's got to be I mean, he's got to be the best passer on that team. Um. Let me think about that for a second. <laughs> I, see, it's a, it, it's hard because it's such a different position, right? Yeah. Like, we look at his passes as being absolutely crazy because he was a center, mm -hmm. right? Like, I can't take any way, anything away from, from Stoudemire's ability to pass or Pip's ability to pass. I just, I, I refuse to diminish how great those players right. were by absolutely. saying something like Sabis was the best passer. No. He was a hell of a passer for a center. Yeah. But when we start comparing him to guards, you know, point guards to small forwards, he was all right. I but mean, I mean, dude, you know, if he was if he was a smaller guard, he he'd probably be right up there. Uh, see, but then there's okay, so so <laughs> I, I try to look at the game as objectively and honestly as I can yeah. when I talk about it. Um Sabis as a guard, what made him special is that. I didn't know how to guard a guy who passed the ball like that, right? So he could get those passes off in those angles because I had never seen it. Mm -hmm. But if you're a guard guarding a guard, you see that every day. That's true. So maybe the passes aren't as special when they're coming from a guard as they are coming from a center. It's like uh, the stretch four, right? You think about the stretch four era, Robert Ory got wide open three-point shots because no power forward had guarded the three-point line to that point. Yeah. So it was easy for him to get it off. But would it have been as easy in this era? I don't think so. I think guys would have guarded him differently. Yeah, that's a good and point. Most of, and Sabonis, he played out of the post, you know, so he's making those passes from the post. I mean, you watch his – I watch old games all the time of you guys, and his entry passes look like a normal big man passing when he's on the perimeter. There's nothing real special about up top. <laughs> You know, but when he's got his right. back to the basket and he's got it's guys, no look. Yeah. yeah, yeah, guys are moving through the lane. It's a completely different game for him. But again, think about it. Those passes were wide ass open for him to make. 
Like I didn't put, a, I didn't have a hand in that passing lane. I wasn't even thinking about mm-hmm. that passing lane. <laughs> so it was easy for him to make that pass. When you start talking about a guard, your guards have their hands there. So you got to get creative. You got to mm-hmm. pump high and go low and pump low and go high. Shabbos just sat there in the post. And I, and I say this and not to diminish his ability either. Like, I don't want to do that either. But when he had that ball up there, you stuck a hand up and then he would flip it with his wrist and it's a layup for a teammate. Yeah. So he was special as a center. I don't take anything away from that. I just got to make sure that we don't start taking away from, you know, guys like Scottie Pippen and Steve Smith and, and Damon Stoudemire and Greg Anthony and all those great guards that were on that roster. Absolutely. So we, we mentioned quite a few names there. Who's your favorite teammate on the on the Blazers? The, those Blazers teams oh, you were on. I, I got to say, really, I got to say two guys. Uh, Steve and I were really close. Mm-hmm. Um, we got to be really close when we were here. Uh, we're still still really cool to this day. Probably from a personality standpoint, Rashid Wallace. Yeah. Um, Roscoe was just a big fun-loving dude like he enjoyed life to the fullest off the court um i'll share a stunning this is an this is an anecdote and i'll share this story with you and this is not to say it was actually true but this <laughs> is exactly what he told me so my first year in, in training camp we come in she's a little bit overweight but by day three of training camp he's outrunning everybody that's he was so naturally physically gifted it was ridiculous so the next year we start training camp and she comes in and he's killing it from day one. And so, you know, I'm like, dog, you, you know, you took the summer, man. You really, you really got it in. You, you know, you got your body right. He was like, nah, 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 man. I just started drinking Heineken light. <laughs> I swear to God. Now I'm not saying that's what he did, but that's a true story. That's what he told me. I was like, that's the funniest thing in the world because this dude did not look like he was in shape in day one, but by day three, he was outrunning the guards. He was that gifted. It was amazing. He might have missed out on a sponsorship right there. I know, right? He probably <laughs> could have. Uh, yeah, yeah. He was. He was something special. I figured yeah, you were gonna say Brian Grant, man, because uh, I remember we went to a Jammin' ninety five point five concert. They brought you and B Grant out on the stage, Bone Thugs and Harmony, and Ice Cube was there. Uh, and uh, so Solo. What was the name? Is it Solo? Silo. I can't. Re- it was a woman. Yeah. I just remember the girl that was on the stage. She was super hot. Um, <laughs> but no, I mean, listen, I was I was tight with all the guys. Don't get me wrong. Like, there was no guy that I wasn't cool with. Mm-hmm. Sean Kemp and I, my second year, I had known Sean since the 11th grade. So he and I were super tight. Mm-hmm. Um, but Smitty and I just got each other different because neither one of us were big partiers. Neither one of us were big drinkers. Mm-hmm. So we were able to do, you know, we found things to do to get, go to the movies, hang out, do stuff like that. And then, um, like I said, she, from a family standpoint, you know, she came to my kids' birthday parties, stuff like that. So nothing against anybody else, but definitely she and Smitty. Yeah. So we had Dwight James on here, and he was he was spilling a little tea about the, the 2000 and 2001 team. And he said a guy that wasn't very liked, and I want to get a player's opinion on this, was Detlef Shrimp. Uh, well, you know, that's a media person's take on what happened. And the truth is, Detlef didn't do anything wrong. Nobody disliked Det. Det didn't cause any problems. We all got along just fine. What happened in that 2000-2001 season, if you go back, I want to say it was about 30 games, maybe 35 games left in the season. We were cooking with gas. I think we had the best record in the league. Maybe 45 least, and 15. 
Okay, one of the best records in the league at that point, right? Stacy Ogman was playing a bunch of minutes at the three behind uh, Scotty, right? So we had a rotation. We had, um, golly, Greg Anthony was coming in off the bench behind Damon, right? We had a great rotation. And then we had two segments of players. We had the older guys with Scotty and Sabas and a couple of other players. We had the younger guys with Sheed and Bonzi and, 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 and Big. Then we had the middle-aged guys, which was me, you know, Ice, Smitty, a couple other dudes. Well, if you think about it, at some point, we brought Detlef back, which disrupted rotation because now Detlef's been off for 40, 50 games. You bring him back in, and he immediately starts playing in front of Stacey Ogden, which can cause a little bit of a rift. So it wasn't that they didn't, that we disliked that. It was that we were rolling. Why is he even here? Mm -hmm. And why is he taking minutes from Stacey Ogman, who's been killing it all season for you? Like there was that. So that disrupted chemistry. Then I think the death, the, the, the death sentence was when we brought in Ron. Uh, Ron. Yep. You got it. Right. When we brought him back in and it wasn't that he did anything wrong. You just disrupted the chemistry of the team. So now we've disrupted it twice. And I want to say we lost, what, 24 out of the last 22? Uh, 14, 22 out of the last 24? 14 to 22. That's right. So you go from 45 and 15. To 50 to, and 32. Right? Or 51, 31. 51, finish. 31. Yeah. Terrible finish to the season. And I think it was those two moves. So I don't. Nobody disliked that. That's bullshit. That's guys who who want to say they knew and want to say they know. 42 and 18. My fault, Tom. Yeah. But it was. It was best record in the league at the time. Right? And we go from best record to out of the the playoffs in the first round in two moves. And it had nothing to do with strict or debt. It was just that it screwed up rotation. Now you got Greg Anthony second-guessing himself. You got... um, uh, Damon Stoudemire second guessing himself. You got mm-hmm. Ice second guessing himself. You got now Ice is, is impacting Smitty and 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 uh, Scotty Pippen, right? Just completely disrupted a great flow. If you're gonna blame somebody, you should blame Witsit for that one. Yeah. That was just dumb G- GMsmanship on Witsit. Well, part. and the worst part is neither one of those guys came in and played well. You know, if you look at their right. those guys didn't come in and play well. They weren't impactful. Not to mention, how about this? You had Jermaine O'Neal, and this is something, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, I'm somewhat old school, right? We watched Jermaine dominate practice a lot of days. A lot of days, Jermaine was the most dominant guy in practice, right? BG decided he wanted to leave. And again, no knock on BG. Go where you want to go. Mm-hmm. But if I got a player like Jermaine O'Neal, a young cat like Jermaine O'Neal, who's killing it in practice every single day, and I get a player like like BG, who's also very good, real, you know, all-star caliber player. He decides he wants to leave. It might be in my best interest to let him go and free up the minutes for Jermaine, keep him because he's young and he's a stud. And we saw what he did when he got to Indiana. Mm-hmm. So why not keep him, let the other guys walk, free up some minutes for him, and go to work with that roster. Instead, we ended up trading for... I think it was Dale Davis, which I thought, you know, was a, was a good lateral move. Yeah. And then Sean Kemp, who was kind of out of his prime. I just never understood the moves that were made by Witsit in that regard. So 
other than that game seven, which I'm not even going to talk about that game seven. That one, that's <laughs> honestly tone. That's the last time I've cried over sports. I was, uh, I was 17 years yeah. old and I watched that game and yeah. I went out on my front porch and I just, I wept, man. I wept like a baby, but uh, yeah. Other than that game seven, that 2000 year was special, special year, man. It was, it was, it, it, it can be argued that other than when Clyde and his group was super hot, mm-hmm. that was, I mean, we brought in, people don't realize we brought in six, we traded six guys for one in Scottie Pippen. And he made that big of a difference that quickly because of his leadership and his ability to defend and make big plays, right? So you had that one. Then, um, and actually, I got to thank Witsy for that move. Because it was a six six out one in, it freed up five roster spots, and that's how I ended up being a Blazer. I was actually about to sign with the with the uh, L.A. Clippers. Thank God it didn't happen. <laughs> um, I actually had my my contract was in the fax machine. That's how long ago okay. it was. It was <laughs> it was fed in the fax machine, and my agent called and said, "Don't send it yet. Give me forty five minutes. There's a big deal about to happen." Dunleavy wants you in Portland. If I if this deal goes down, they're gonna sign you. And I remember, and it, it got to like the 40th minute before I was ready to oh, press dang. the button. And he was like, "Don't do it." And then I got the deal. <laughs> so I remember that first game in Vancouver, the first regular season game. You got some serious burn because they were up. I've looked for this game. No, I just want to tell you something. I gotta correct you there. I got some serious burn because I was balling in Vancouver <laughs> that year. You Oh, you're talking about the 2000 season. The 2000 season. Ah, that, yes, 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 yes. I thought you about I thought you meant opening night of the Motor Center. You know, I was with the Grizzlies. <laughs> oh, you got it there too. Portland its first loss in Motor yes, Center. Yes, mm-hmm. <laughs> Sick. But I remember that game and the the thing that I remember about that, I've never seen it a second time, but I remember in 1999 I'm watching that game and it's the fourth quarter and you came down the lane, man, and you put one on Bryant Reeves so nasty. You just destroyed that dude. And I had a I had a root canal the next day at school. And as they're giving me, that's what I'm thinking about. I was thinking about you. I'm like, oh, I'm just, I hate needles. And I'm like, man, Antonio Harvey just destroyed big country. Well, I'm glad I was able to help get you through it. Um, you know, so I'm, and I, I've had this conversation and people who follow me on Facebook uh, know this about me. I don't even remember my NBA career. It's been so long ago. If you don't tell me something that happened, I have zero chance of recalling it. Um, and I feel like that's the way it should be, right? I evolved past being an NBA guy to being a dad and being a business owner and all of this other stuff. And so um, I enjoyed the hell out of it. But, dude, if you don't remind me of something that happened, I, there is literally zero recall. Oh, I got something for you. Oh, go ahead, Tim. Let's talk about the 95 dunk contest. That I can't seem to fucking forget. <laughs> <laughs> that one lives in infamy every freaking February. <laughs> there it is. Uh, so what happened? I can tell you exactly what happened, right? So I had the way the contest was set up. There was it was a five dunk dunk mm-hmm. contest, right? Mm-hmm. You had to you had to make three in the first round, and then you had two in the second round, mm-hmm. and I was so confident in my dunks. I didn't practice six. I had five dunks. Mm -hmm. And I knew that if I completed my five dunks, 
I was going to win the slam dunk contest, right? I had ultimate confidence in that. So I got my first two. The ball was a little bit slippery. I got the first two down, and I was feeling pretty good, obviously, because I go out to half court and get the crowd to stand up. Well, one of these, <laughs> right? I'm, I'm I'm hyping the crowd. Well, what, what? And again, this is not an excuse. This is what happened, right? I probably just got too confident. Anyway, I um I let the clock run down, and I want to say it must have been about 12 seconds left on the clock. Uh, I had been practicing the Statue of Liberty, the Stansberry dunk. Mm -hmm. I had never missed it a single day in practice. I had been doing that dunk since I was in maybe a freshman or sophomore in college. Like I had it down. The day that Stansberry did it, I learned to do it. That was my go-to dunk. Mm -hmm. So I line up, I'm at half court. I got the crowd hype. I look up at the clock, there's whatever, 12, 15 seconds, whatever it is on the clock. Well, it's time to go. So I start my approach. But just as I'm getting ready to start, the camera dude is right in front of me, right oh. between me and the dip, me and the rim. Is that why you had that little so hitch had, in your step? Right. So I had to bow out just a little bit and make it a banana. <laughs> well, Stansberry is not a banana cut dunk. It's a straight on dunk, as was obvious, because when I came out of the 360, I was not where I thought I was going to be. <laughs> and uh, at that point, all I could do was reach. And because like a big dummy, I had let all the clock, all the time run <laughs> off the clock. I didn't have a time to do anything else. Cause I had, you know, I had some, some dunks that I could have thrown up there in the last three seconds, but I didn't even have three seconds. Cause I literally <laughs> waited for the clock to run out. I tell so, you what though, if that dunk went down, that would have been a monster yeah, but, dunk. Yeah. But the problem is it didn't. Yeah. And instead of, I went from being a hero to a goat, literally. <laughs> I in, in one second. I gotta know though, as soon as you missed, who's the first person you look at? What are you thinking? Cedric Sabalos, because he was one of my teammates. Yeah. I knew it. <laughs> it was Cedric Sabalos, because because again, these dudes, my teammates, Nick Van Exel, George Lynch, Cedric Sabalos, Tony Smith, Vladi Divac, they had all seen me do these dunks every single day. So Ced was like, man, I had you had this in the bag. Um, I'll give you guys a, a, a quick a quick history on how I ended up in the dunk contest, if you guys don't mind. Sure. Go for so, it. So it was my second year in the league. My first year in the league, I got hurt about midway through. I hit the wall, and I missed the rest of the season. So I'm back in my second year, and I had spent the entire summer rehabbing. So I, my legs are feeling as fresh as they've ever felt. I'm jumping higher than I've ever jumped. And we were in Houston before practice one day, and I bet Vladi and Eldon Campbell $100 each that if they put a coin on the base behind the backboard, I could tell them what the coin was. So they had to jump up there. Any coin they wanted, quarter, nickel, dime, penny, didn't matter to me. So they put that coin on the base of the backboard and it just so happened that day, Jerry West was with the team. Mm -hmm. So Eldon put the coin up there and I jumped up there and told them what it was. I can't remember exactly what it was. Um, so we bet again because they thought I got lucky. So they put a different coin up there. I did it like two or three times in a row. I won about $1,500 that day, so that's why I remember it. Because it was my new my new watch. That's how I paid for that new watch that day. Um, but after that, Jerry West called the league and was like, look, I got a, we got a young cat that's up and coming. He's got the legs to win the dunk contest. You guys need to put him in. And Jerry West got me into the dunk contest that year. Oh, that's awesome. I mean, the if, logo. If only, the logo. If only you pulled it out. 
the damn cameraman. <laughs> we need we need to get that damn cameraman it. on the show. <laughs> so so I gotta know then. I gotta know who gave it to you the worst. Oh, after that. Oh, that's a good one. You know what? It was probably Nick Van Exel, if I'm being honest. Um, Nick. So Nick and I were rookies together, mm-hmm. and I give give Nick a lot of credit for why I made it to the league. There were other guys that were trying out with the Lakers that summer, but for some reason, Nick and I got to be close quick, and he just kept feeding me lobs. And when you're an athlete that can, you know, put his literally put his head in the rim, lobs look golden. You can throw that thing up to the top of the backboard. I'm going to go get it. So he, he, I mean, it was literally lob at the lob at the lob at the lob, and that's how I ended up making the roster because I was just such a, you know, next level athlete. Um, so. We were so tight that it was definitely Nick Van Exel that gave me the most most uh, ribbon <laughs> after that dunk contest. Oh, that's great. <laughs> I mean, so you're really good at telling these stories, Tom. So I, there's there's one that we didn't send over because I wanted to save it. Okay. And there's a particular player that you played with uh, on the Blazers, and there's a clip that's circulating on YouTube right now of you giving an interview about this. And you won't name the player. Uh, but he made a pretty big a-hole of himself on national TV towards the end of that 2001 season. Um, it involved a towel, and it involved a big Lithuanian dude. Yes. Um, but your locker room story that um, I bet a lot of people have not heard, people would love to hear that, man. You mind sharing that? No, not at all. And if you go back to that incident, you know who we're talking about. And that guy would probably deny that his life was in danger. But let me tell you, his life was in danger. So we, we, it's a, it's, it's the last, maybe the last game of the season, I think it was versus the no, no, it's the second, second to, last to last because you, you started for this guy the last that's, game of the season because he was suspended. That's right, that's right. And I was at that game where we were chanting your name. <laughs> Man, that's that's a long time ago. Uh, so so the long and short of it is, you know, uh, Sabis. You know, we were playing the Lakers. They had Shaq. And Shaq and Sabas had a, a love-hate relationship. Shaq hated Sabas, and Sabas loved to let Shaq dunk on him. So, at any rate, uh, we're, we're in the game, and Shaq is just banging the heck out of Sabas over and over. And so, one particular play towards the end of the game, Sabas gets bumped in the chest. And, you know, he's a European guy, so he flops a little bit. So, he flails his hands around, and when he flails his hands, he hits uh, this guy in the mouth and breaks his tooth. And that's what set him off. It wasn't just that it was a flap. It was a chipped tooth. One of his front teeth got chipped. So dude is pissed off and we're in we're in the huddle and, you know, motherfucker and flopping and yeah and flailing and he throws a towel at him. And, you know, we break everybody up. We go into the locker room after the game and we're sitting there and dude comes in and he is pissed and he is going at Sabas. You know, MF, I'll, I'll F you up. And he's just going and going and going and going. And Sabas's locker was always right next to mine. I don't know why they did it that way, but it was always <laughs> next to mine. And after about 10 minutes of this rant, Sabas just looks at me and says, I will kill him. <laughs> just like that. Stone faced, right? No, just, just. And I looked at Sabas, and then I looked at dude, and I'm like, he will kill him. <laughs> Sabas had the biggest <laughs> hands. You know, and all I could think was, if he gets his hands around his neck, there's nothing we can do. <laughs> and 
if you look back at pictures, and I love Sabas, he's a great dude. I, I literally love playing with him. Sabas had the biggest head you've ever seen in your life. And all I could think was if he got his hands around my guy's neck, even punching Sabas in the head wouldn't matter. It'd be like shooting an elephant with a BB gun, right? You got no chance of stopping his action. So after about 10 minutes and after I hear Sabas say, yo, I will kill him. I'm like, I got to get in. I got to ask, man, sit your ass down somewhere. And I didn't tell him that Sabas was literally about to kill him, but I had to like step up. And it was like one of those situations where your mom yells at you to save your life. Like that's what I was doing. I was yelling at him because I had a feeling that he was about to die. And I didn't want that to happen in the locker room. So I, I jump up, I'm yelling at him. And now he and I are going at it a little bit. But ultimately, the situation calms down and nobody dies in the locker room that day. <laughs> that that may be the best story I've ever heard about the Blazers <laughs> locker room. Um, One more question about that story. Okay. Did Mike Dunleavy really tell people to let him go? Oh, listen. Dunleavy was, was straight, well, Dunleavy liked to think he was tough. Let's be clear. So after all, I, we didn't even get to that part. So Dunleavy comes in the locker room and hears the rant, right? And he's like, what the, you know, what the F's going on in here with that New York accent? And dude kind of turns his ire towards, towards, uh, towards Dunleavy, right? So we break everything up. And Dunleavy is like taking his jacket off, his, you know, his, his suit and tie. He's like, nah, 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 let him go, let him go. And I'm thinking to myself, see, see, Mike, that's the problem. You don't let, you don't let this, you know what I mean? You think that you got a shot. No, this dude is going to kill you the way Silas was going to kill that dude. Sit your ass down somewhere before you catch a beat down. Uh, it was, but you know what, though? It was a part of what had happened, um, like we were just saying. The team had become so dysfunctional. And you go from first in the league to eighth seed in the West, and everything becomes an issue, even when it's not. Uh, and I feel like if we had continued to win, we would have never had those problems. Mm -hmm. Well, let's uh, let's pivot a little bit. Okay. Uh, not only were you a player for the Blazers, but you were also on the broadcast team. Um, one yes. thing we were curious about, actually, is uh, if you could tell us a little bit about what it was like playing and working for uh, the late Paul Allen. Oh man, uh, so first and foremost, um, I, I consider him one of the greatest NBA bosses ever, mm -hmm. right? Like people have no idea of his dedication to winning. Um, I, I had heard it, I don't know if it's true or not, but there was at one point, people talked in the organization that he was losing a hundred million dollars a year mm -hmm. chasing a championship. Mm -hmm. Who else is willing to lose that kind of money to bring a championship to a city, mm -hmm. right? So for me, when you talk about Paul Allen as the owner of the Portland Trailblazers, arguably one of the most committed owners in the history of pro sports. Uh, and I had a chance to play for the Clippers as well. And I can tell you, that's the exact 180. Donald Sterling could care less about winning so long as he made, you know, a half a million dollars every year. Mm -hmm. Like it was totally different. And you could see it in the quality of the franchise and the types of players we could, you know, that came here. It was, he was an amazing owner is the best way to describe it. Is there, do you have a favorite interaction with him? Uh, I think my favorite interaction with Mr. Allen was actually not basketball related. 
Mm-hmm. Um, Wheels, when we were, you know, Wheels was my radio partner. Wheels always knew the cool things happening in a given city. Mm-hmm. So we fly into San Francisco on this one particular game, and there's um, a Jimi Hendrix um, tribute tour where some of the greatest musicians on earth, guitar players in particular, on earth are all together in this concert, and it's a tribute to Jimi Hendrix, all his songs and all of this kind of stuff. Well, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the the Experience Music Project is what it used to be called. It's mm-hmm. called something different mm-hmm. now. And it was it was a, a tribute to Jimi Hendrix. In fact, the building was shaped like one of his smashed up guitars is up in Seattle. Mm-hmm. Well, that was a Paul Allen venture. I didn't even realize that at the time. So we're at this concert and the concert finishes. And as it finishes, Mr. Allen stands up and he's right down in front of us. So he stands up, turns around, and it was me, Wheels, Rice, Barrett, and some of the other guys on the broadcast crew. So when Mr. Allen turns around, he sees us and he invites us down to come down to the front row, then introduces us to some of the guys that were played that were playing oh, wow. on the stage. And right, and it was like, man, this dude is a multi-billionaire, and all he wants to do is be a guitar player, right? <laughs> he just wants to be something he's not. Mm-hmm. And that to me just, it spoke volumes to when it's all said and done, he was just a dude. Mm-hmm. He was a dude who loved basketball and loved music. And he acted just like that. It was it was really cool. That to me, that's my Paul Allen story. Um, we could talk about the, the games and all of that stuff. But that to me is when I knew that he was literally just me with more money. <laughs> Yeah, you know that's it's it's interesting to hear stories like that because, as a fan base, like we don't we don't get to see that we don't get to hear that. Um, it's I think that's that's pretty valuable for us as fans as well. Um, you mentioned well, you mentioned I, wheels. There was well, go ahead go yes. ahead go ahead. Well, there was the billion dollar moment too. The day he said that um, he he took his private plane from South Africa to check out a game, and then he's going to follow us to the next city. And then he's flying back to South Africa to jump on Octopus, which was his 300-foot boat, right? So, you know, he did have some billionaire moments, too, but he was just a dude. He was he was just a cool dude. For sure. Uh, you mentioned Wheels. What was it like working with that guy? Because to, to us, you know, we're, we're not as close to it as you are. To us, the man is a legend. I mean, some of the greatest calls. Yes, uh, and he should be a legend. And it was it was it was disappointing that he got let go, but it was also somewhat understandable because you know he had just kind of you know things had just happened and it was time you know everything everything has its shelf life and unfortunately Will's shelf life had come to an end with the Blazers. Yeah. Uh, but being his partner was tremendous. There was a lot of games where I found myself listening to the game as I'm watching it. Right. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not even. I'm not even watching the game so much as I'm listening to him call it and reacting to his calls. And that's where I think that's, I think that must've been about my second or third year in the league when I changed, you know, you change the way the game is, is entering your head. Mm-hmm. You go from I'm watching the game and I'm calling what I'm seeing. And that's somewhat disjointed. When I started listening to him and reacting to his call, I felt like we had some of our best years. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, well, it came through. It definitely came through because we thought you guys were a phenomenal team. I mean, there's, you know, this Travis guy. That whole. He's all right. <laughs> but Well, you know what? Here, here's what I'll say. Um, Travis is dedicated to being a great broadcaster. And I've known him for a long time. I hope the fan base gives him a legitimate shot to be great. Oh, no, absolutely. I think he wants to be. I say that in jest because we just had him on the show. And okay. <laughs> no, we, we love Travis. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah, I mean, it was tough. I mean, I like Lamar. I like, you know, I like Calabro. But, you know, for me, I spent so much time with Wheels and you and Mike and Mike mm-hmm. that, you know, and it was really strange, too, because, you know, we kind of struck gold. We had we had Steve Jones. We had Pete Pranico. We had, you know, we had some real hitters you know, in, in Portland broadcasting. And then we had Sean Lee. And so, you know, normally in other sports, you watch new broadcasters come in and they don't have the same popularity as the guys before them. Right. And then, for, but for Portland, you guys did, you guys really came in and just continued to carry that torch, so to speak. And I, once it became corporate, well, you know what? I try not to blame the corporate corporate stuff for me. I, I'll tell you, my exit was, was orchestrated by me. So that wasn't a corporate thing. That was my decision. Uh, you know, you guys know I played, I was 25 years in the NBA from the time I started to the time I finished, 24. Um, it was time for me, mm-hmm. right? I have, uh, so I have four kids. My oldest is 24. And the decision was made when you know, my wife and I decided to get into the cannabis space. But the reason I made that decision was because my daughter won three state championships in soccer in four years. I never got to see her play, mm. right? And that stuff starts to weigh on you. Mm. Then I have a 10 year old and I'm like, man, am I gonna miss his life too? Like, I, I gotta do something. I gotta do something different so I can get back to being a dad because that's what I always wanted to be. So, you know, I don't blame the Blazers for making any moves. To me, it wasn't corporate. There was a mutual decision. You know, Mike and Mike, totally different scenario. Don't know what happened there. But for me, it was time. Uh, I I think Eric and I, I mean, I think I speak for Eric when I say uh, uh, we have a lot of respect for that decision that you made. Uh, We're both fathers, and there's no better job in the world than being a father. Um, Being that you were part of the broadcast team, I want to mention a name, and I want to know the first thing that comes to mind when I mention the name. Okay. Be honest, too. We want want a no BS assessment. Okay. Big John LaCrofka. <laughs> That's my dude. Yeah. There's no other way to describe him. John may be the the most beloved member of the broadcast crew that nobody knows. Yep. Right? Like, like you think about J, you know, JL, the, the public has no idea who he is. Right, unless you follow him on Facebook, and then he makes sure that the world knows who he is. <laughs> but, but in terms of like, like even the guys, like when when you first get to the roster, you see him walking around, and everybody's like, "Who's that guy?" Because he just has that air about him. He's you know never a bad day. Mm-hmm. And John and I stayed at each other, by the way. Like you know, they, they say you rib the people you like the most, the most. Yeah. Well, that was me and John. He used to tell me that Pfeiffer was an online school. That's where I graduated from, by the way. Like that was his thing. And we just <laughs> we went at it nonstop. But John LaCroft is easily one of the best human beings on earth. Okay. Being that you said that, 
I, I, I got something for you here. And it might put okay. you in the hot seat. Uh-oh. Uh, so John's been on our sh- on our show a few times. Uh, him and Uh-oh. I text back and forth here and there. It's weird. It's weird. <laughs> uh, he told me a little story about you one night Uh-oh. out on the road in a hotel. You might owe him some money. Well, we're going to have to yeah. find out what he has to be. <laughs> Let's finish the story. Let me tell you, he's being accurate with what he's saying. <laughs> All right. Well, I mean, it's not a long story, but basically the gist of it okay. is you guys are checking out. Uh, the night okay. before, he goes out and has dinner with uh, uh, Mike Rice. When he's checking out, the uh, the front desk calls him back and says, uh, excuse me, sir, uh, there's a $250 charge on your account <laughs> from last night from the, the hotel, bar, and restaurant. <laughs> I'm telling you, Tone, I'm telling you, he swears on his life and everything he knows that it was you. <laughs> well, first of all... <laughs> No, that wasn't that wasn't me. Hey, this is your chance to come and clean. I do, but I wouldn't do it. <laughs> I wouldn't do that to JL. That's something I would do to like a player because I know they can afford it. But JL was living on the same per diem I was living on. Like I can't, I can't put that on his books, man. That's foul. No, 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 no. No, that wasn't me. I'll tell you what. I think it was a player that did it to him myself because. You know, John was always hobnobbing with the guys, so I would not be shocked one bit if it was a player. But no, truth be told, wasn't me. I can't, I can't, I can't let him put that one on me. And if I did it, I'd be happy to tell you because he can't collect the money now. It's too late. <laughs> the statute of limitations is already run out. Statute of limitations. So, so I could be honest about it, but no, I never did that. John's making that up. You know what? You, you mentioned it was probably a player. You're probably right. John probably copped a pair of their shoes and they're charging for it. Right? I, I bet you that's what it is. Hey, hey, uh, I'm going to use Dame. Hey, Dame, can you sign these shoes for my daughter? <laughs> yeah, man. I can sign those. <laughs> I'll get it out of you later, though. <laughs> it's gonna yeah, you. you know that's... what? Hey, speaking of JL, I want to give a shout out to his daughter, Liv. They're playing in the state championships for soccer tomorrow night. Yes, they are. Um, uh, you know, that's Generals. Saturday night at Hillsboro. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah, today's Thursday, yeah, so, and isn't that's, it? <laughs> yeah, today is Thursday. And you know what's, what's great about it is is John used to give me kind of side-eye because I would, you know, share my exploits of my daughter, who's a soccer player. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it would always be – you could always tell it was kind of, man, we don't want to hear this shit about your daughter and soccer, yada, 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 yada. <laughs> and now, if you look at his Instagram and Facebook page, it's uh-huh. literally mm-hmm. – non-stop girl dad soccer which to me is full circle that's what you get for making fun of me now you're me talking about your daughter in high school all right a future show we got to have both you guys on and go at it i want to yeah, see it i, I, I want to see it live and in full I effect i guarantee no matter what you just said he's still coming after that 250 oh yeah hey listen like listen he can see he can, he can come after it all day long statute of limitations <laughs> so uh, before we move on to the next segment, which is going to get a little serious, I want to ask you real quick, Scottie Pippen 
must be smoking some of this Oregon homegrown, man, because he is on one right now all over social media. Is this a book push or is he really this messed up in the head? What I don't, I don't, I, 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 it's hard for me to say. Pip's one of my guys. Um, he took really good care of me when he was here. Um, you know, guys like Scotty Pippen play in a pair of shoes, a new pair of shoes every game, right? Well, I was the guy who played in the shoes the next game. When he would order sweatsuits from Nike, he would order an extra of everything, and I was the guy who was the recipient. So it's hard for me to see the things he's saying and doing right now. I hope that it's a push for more book sales. Um, I know he's been through a divorce. I know he's got some things going on in his personal life. Uh, I hope that whatever it is, he gets over it and gets through it. I hope that he and MJ can figure out their relationship. But you're going to be hard-pressed to find me saying anything really negative about Pip, man. Dude treated me well. And it's not negative, man. I'm not even meaning it. But just like where – I'm hoping that it's just because, you know, obviously Pippen – I mean, Scotty Pippen. Scotty Pippen, top 50 all time. <laughs> uh, I can tell yeah. you that when we were cooking with Pippen Sheed, we could lock down an entire side of the court, just those two guys. They were so good defensively. Mm-hmm. It actually hurts me, you know what I mean? Because, you know, you I'm like, dang, man, not not the guy that we traded Ed Gray, Carlos Rogers, you know, Ogman, Walt Williams. You know, we sent all those guys over there, brought him in. He almost got us to the championship. Yep. Just, you know, like the Buck Williams effect almost, mm-hmm. you know, like just took us over the hump. It's like, I don't, I don't want to think negatively about that guy. I don't want to, th- I don't. Yeah, but he's. I want to remember six championships and, right. you know, lockdown defense and the dunk over Patrick Ewing. Like, that's how I want to remember Scotty Pippen. And I think we're all there. Like, we're all kind of like, dude, just let your legacy live, live, breathe itself. You don't have to talk about it. It's there. Mm-hmm. Well, I just wanted to get your take because I know that, you know, you guys were teammates for two years yep. and he was an integral part to the Blazers' success during that time. Yeah, I've, I've actually stayed in, in touch, touch with Pippen over the years so you know that's why i say it's hard for me to say anything negative because dude has always been so good to me Mm -hmm. hey tone before we get into the more serious stuff um one last question you know you played in a few different places during your your career what made you choose portland to stick around um bang for the buck i think that's the best way to describe it right like i could go back to la but i'd be one of you know, 150 guys from sports teams. I'd be one of, you know, this, that, and the other. But here, this is a Blazer town. Mm-hmm. And just me being a Blazer has afforded me opportunities that I probably wouldn't have gotten in other places. So for me, it was an easy decision. The opportunity to be a part of the community, uh, it has that down-home feel that I love. Mm-hmm. So for me, it was easy. Nice. Um, all right. Let's get into the serious stuff. You, yep. you recently posted, well, let's just, Neil Olshay is in the hot seat right now. He's being investigated be. for workplace misconduct. And mm-hmm. as soon as the news broke, you put out a post on social media. Would, would you want to expand upon that post? 
The NHL season is underway and DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL, has an unbelievable offer to celebrate the greatest sport on ice. New customers can bet just $1 on any NHL game and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a goal. Doesn't matter if it's a one-time clapper or a deft deflection, however they light the lamp, you win. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Throw down $1 on any NHL game and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a goal. This week, one puck in the net nets you a big win with promo code TBPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only, minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer, restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Well, so, yeah, I mean, I can, I will. The, the truth is, Neil isn't a good person, right? Never was a good person. And he he didn't act, he didn't treat people right. And it wasn't so much that he treated me bad. But I, I believe in that old thing, you know, you watch how people treat others, and that's how they're going to treat you one day. Mm-hmm. And that's essentially what happened for me. I watched Neil treat, try to treat Chris Haynes poorly. I watched him do, you know, treat other people poorly. Uh, and then there were a couple of incidences where he tried to pull, you know, things where he treated me poorly, but I just wasn't having it. Um, but that's that's how that's kind of where it is. Like he's just not a good person. And to be honest, he's not a basketball mind, right? He's a He's a con artist. He's an actor who acted like a basketball mind just enough to get a job. But what, I mean, what deal, what move has he made stands out as that stellar move? Damn, Tony, and this dude is great. I can't think of one. I mean, off the top of my head, I can't think of anything. I mean, I know he likes to take credit for Dame. My wife don't give me credit for filling her tank for putting a quarter of a tank in. That don't get you no no brownie points at the Harvey House. Same thing. <laughs> so, this is my question, and then it, I I'm a nine to fiver. You know, I I I work for a HVAC distributor, and I sit behind a computer. I've worked with a lot of guys. Some of them are real assholes. Mm-hmm. My question: I've had some I've had some bosses who are also some serious assholes. Does he qualify as a guy that is just that borderline asshole all the time? Or is the stuff that he does, was it egregious? The stuff that he does, was it egregious? Um, no single incident. But the but when you start looking at the overall impact, right? Um he came he came in right away and tried to silo basketball from business. Well, this is a basketball business. Like this is the business of basketball. You can't do that. So he started to, he stabbed a lot of people in the organization in the back. Um, You know, little things he did, you know, berating people for no real reason. Uh, I watched him try to go at Chris Haynes. I watched him, I watched him completely go at Dwight James one time. And I'm like, wow, why? Why are you going at these people like this? But then he would treat Woj like he was Jesus. And that's mm-hmm. the kind of thing that got to me, that, that makes me 
look at him like, yeah, see, you knew Woj could bury you, so you treated him like a, a prince, but you know that Dwight James has a much smaller audience, or Chris Haynes at the time had a much smaller audience, so you try to bully them and treat them like it. Well, the way you treated a young Chris Haynes is the way you would treat a young Antonio Harvey, or my son Cameron, if he were in that position. See, that stuff matters to me. Mm -hmm. It spoke yeah. to his personality type. It spoke to his narcissism. And then probably the final piece for me with Neil was when, I don't know if you guys can remember back, but when I when, when they made the announcement that I was getting into the cannabis space, it was front page of the sports section. But it was during the playoffs. And I knew that Neil was big into don't show up my team. Mm -hmm. So I sent him an email. You know, it wasn't a big email. It wasn't a long email. It was just, hey, uh, didn't mean to show up the team. Not that kind of guy. I'm a player. I'm not trying to save my job. You know, just kind of acknowledging that I didn't mean to disrupt this thing, especially in the playoffs with the team, about, you know, going into Golden State, yada, 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 yada. Mm -hmm. Well, I sent it on whatever day it was. Two days later, we're leaving to go to Golden State. He still hadn't responded. I sent an email to him, Chris McGowan, Dwayne Hankins, all three people that were higher up in the franchise. I heard from Chris. I heard from Dwayne. Heard nothing from Neil. So we get on the plane that second day, and I'm like, hey, man, I sent you an email the other day. Oh, yeah, I got it. Oh. That was it, Okay, huh? then. Okay. I see where we are. See, now he knows that I'm probably on my way out. So he doesn't need me to vouch for him because the first two years he was with the Blazers, anytime there was a meeting that I was involved with and there was a question about basketball decisions, it was, right, Tone? You see what I'm saying, Tone? Tone, tell him, right? But as soon as he realized that I was no longer of any value to him, he didn't even respect me enough to respond to my email. Or... To say to me, I got your email, I appreciate it, don't worry about it. Nothing. To me, that speaks to your personality because I promise you, you guys, you know, you, uh, I think it was Eric, you just said you have a nine to five, right? If somebody beneath you emailed you, you're going to give them at least the courtesy of a response. Oh, yeah. Right? Because that's just, that's oh, yeah. just common decency. Common courtesy. Right? So, so yeah. to get nothing but to acknowledge that you received the email, that's when I was like, okay, this dude is everything that we thought he was. When he first got the job, they, we called him the devil because we all knew he was a con artist. Literally. No, real talk. We, amongst ourselves, oh, be, everybody be quiet. Here comes the devil. Thank you. Uh, amongst we yourself know. being the broadcast team? No, I was, no, I was, it was other people. I, I, I in house. Leave that in house, Tim. That's in house. Yeah, I, I couldn't. I couldn't go there with the broadcast team because they weren't. And this is no knock on any of the broadcast team, but they weren't basketball people. Mm -hmm. They were broadcast. You know, uh, I was a basketball guy. I came from the basketball world. Mm -hmm. So, in the basketball world, you know when you're dealing with a con artist, um, and he was exceptional version of an artist. How familiar were you with the with the Dan Dickow situation? Uh, I was not familiar with Dan at the time. He, uh, I, it seems like he had some things to say. Yeah, but you know what's funny is it fits. Like when he, when he, when he, when I heard about it, I was like, man, yeah, that's about right. That sounds about right. Like 
not at all shocked. And then Barry Hecker, who was one of my assistant coaches with the Clippers. Did you guys hear his his conversation with Gonzalo? I had not. Yeah. Well, same thing. It's the same type of stuff. And what you're you're not hearing anything overly egregious, but you're starting to see that pattern of a bad person emerge. Mm-hmm. Like dude is just not the guy. First, he's not the guy. Second, he's not a basketball mind. Mm-hmm. Like well, what he did to Dunleavy. What he did to Dunleavy and with crazy. And Dunleavy gave him the job. Mm-hmm. Job, yeah. Right. So now I'm gonna slide, I'm gonna slide one in your back, Mike, when you're not looking, because I have I see a chance to advance. Uh then he tried to, you know, he, he what he hung his hat on to get the Blazer job, by the way, was the Chris Paul trade. Which wouldn't have happened if they would have the NBA just would have let Chris Paul go to the Los Angeles Lakers instead. Right. So basically what I heard him say was man, I'm about as smart as a third grader when it comes to basketball because I traded for Chris Paul after the league wouldn't let him go to the other place. It's like, you know what I mean? Like, oh, so you who wouldn't have made that trade? Literally everybody would have made that uh-huh. trade. So you're not, mm-hmm. you don't get kudos for that. Uh, and then even with Dane, you know, I, ha- I have friends who are in other, other teams. When Dane was drafted, do you know that the Pelicans had Dane as the number two pick in the draft? If they had had one and two, because I think they ended up with one in like seven or one in nine. They ended up with Austin Rivers. They had it on their board that if they got one and two or one in whatever that Dame was still there, they were going to take Anthony Davis and Damian Lillard if they could get high enough to get him. So this idea that Neil was some savant by picking Dame, it's ridiculous. <laughs> you know, the same thing with CJ. Uh, but then you look at his other draft. Uh, how Does anybody remember Myers Leonard? We do. <laughs> right? I, I, I want to say he drafted Myers. Uh, he did. You know, and you can go down the line. Like, how many of his draft picks have actually panned out? Mm-hmm. Will Barton plays in Denver, but we don't have Aaron Aflalo anymore. Well, you see, and, and, and I believe that Will is killing it in Denver right now. He is. Mm-hmm. And, and, and as a matter of fact, I just heard it yesterday. Will is averaging career highs in points, rebounds, assists, field goal percentage, and three-point field goal percentage. And you let him go for for basically nothing. So, yeah. I'm still trying to figure out where his basketball genius is. Um, Well, and that's a that's one of the things, you know, I'm not a Neil Olshay hater per se, like from the, the, the job perspective, but I'm also realistic that a lot of the deals that he's made, the deal for Nurkic was for a draft pick that had nothing to do with Nurk. Nurk was filler for salary because he met because of Plumley. Right. You know, so, so let's talk about that. You strike gold by accident. By accident. And well, <laughs> and let's talk about that though. And I, I and, and, and again, I'm always hesitant to knock a player. In fact, I, I hate doing it. So I'm not going to knock Nurk here. But I'm gonna I'm gonna put Nurk in perspective of a championship caliber team, right? So right now the Blazers have let's take your five. The Blazers have Dan J. Old championship caliber. But if you move down the line, uh, who's the next that considered a championship caliber? Some say Norman Powell. He's Line. Maybe he's born because the reality is in Toronto in the championship he averaged twelve points a game he came on the bench. The next year, Kawhi leaves starts he's number with seventh of the season. So really, I don't know. 
But here's what I can tell you. Nurk, Nurk is a championship caliber sixth or seventh player at best. If Nurk is your starting center, and I learned this from a stout, and he used me as the example. Antonio Harvey is a good NBA player, but if he's your starting power forward, your team is terrible. Guy actually said those words to me. Think about that. Certain players aren't championship caliber starters. I don't know how many of those the Blazers have. I mean, I think that's and a I don't great know how point, to but one. I would I would say two. For sure. Two. Two. And we know who those two are. But you can't win you you can't win a championship with two championship caliber players. Gotta have four. Gotta have at least four. All right. So then here's the next question. New GM comes in, just hypothetical. And we're going to get to the, the the hypothetically new GM comes in. He's willing to move some pieces around. Mm-hmm. Ben Simmons makes his way to Portland. Who am I giving up? If I got to give up CJ. Got to be CJ. If I'm giving up CJ, no chance. So, okay. So Norm sliding over to that two. Simmons at the three. Nance at the four. Nope. That doesn't move the needle for you? Nope. I don't I respect that. I don't see how Ben Simmons makes the team better. He can't shoot. His head is bad. Right? Maybe two years ago I would have considered it, but now with everything that's happening around Ben Simmons, I don't think I can make that trade. I'll be honest with you. There are not many players that I would trade that I would be willing to give up CJ for. Well, I think too now you look at the the rule changes and the way that the 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 game is being called and you see guys who are not affected okay and i'm not saying anything nothing bad about dame i love dame and his game's going to adjust but you look at guys who are natural ballers not really good basketball players but actual ballers guys who just know how to adjust their game Mm -hmm. and get buckets there's two guys off the top of my list that i've been watching all season who have not changed anything one is cj and the other is kevin durant i'll give you a third steph curry Ah, Steph too. Okay, yep. Right, but just natural. But I, I, I've said this to people: Dame is a power point guard, right? He's just overpowering, and his shot's going to come back. I'm because he's missing shots that we've seen him make five years. I'm not mm-hmm. worried about his shot. Dame is a power point guard. I'm more physical than you. That's how I'm going to dominate you, or I'm going to shoot it from deep, things like that. I've seen CJ get defenders to just get out of his way. Like his handle is so ridiculous. And the defense will literally move out of his way. I was watching a play from the Lakers, I think it was. He had the ball. He comes down. He's he's got the ball on the right-hand side. He's coming down. He did something that was Memphis. He did something to John Morant where at one instance, John Morant was between him and the rim. And literally three dribbles later, John Morant was on the other side of CJ. And CJ had a wide-open run to the rim. That shit's uncommon. And that mm-hmm. footwork, I, the way that in between dribbles, he's dribbling the ball and his feet are switching yep. mid-dribble. Yep. Like, I'm a basketball coach. I coach up at Corbett High School, but, I mean, I I tell people all the time, man, like, don't worry about shooting 35-footers. You need to go watch CJ's footwork. Oh, it's, it's <laughs> remarkable. No, he's, he's long been one of my favorite guys. Um, and they're really the only two guys that are left from when I left. Everybody else is now gone. But man, Dame and CJ are two championship caliber pieces. I think if you could, I'll give you a, I'll give you a deal that I thought that 
the team allowed to go south. And you guys may agree or disagree. Letting Hassan Whiteside go for nothing. Actually, mm -hmm. just letting Hassan Whiteside go was ridiculous. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe I had him at 16 points, like 13 rebounds, and two blocks a game. It was closer to three blocks, but yeah. Okay. <laughs> See? So look, I'm not even giving him all his love. <laughs> and what no. and what the team said was, or what uh, the way Neil tried to spin it was, well, you know, he's lazy. So he got you a lazy 16, 13, and three. That's a lazy version. Well, and they weren't that bad either. No. You know, Portland was coming off other injuries. It wasn't Nurkic was hurt. Hood was hurt. Exactly. So mm -hmm. there was there was more into that, you know, and I liked Hassan. I think that I I think that he probably fit a better role for what Terry Stotts was doing than Nurk because Nurk wasn't getting utilized by Stotts, in my opinion, just watching him well, can I, play. Can I ask you a question, though? Because I heard Nurk say that. Are his stats any better this year than they were last year? No. No. So I'm tired of hearing Stotts wasn't utilizing him. Mm -hmm. Some people aren't meant to be utilized. And I feel like, for me, when I watch Nurk, sometimes there is a... Uh... <laughs> oh, yeah. As I'm... Co See, I, I try to go coach mode because it, you got to right. be political about it. But there... There's an aspect of his game that he needs, he can't get out of his own way a little bit. Yep. You know, and that prevents him from reaching the type of player potential that people see in him. And that can also be a little bit of a problem. Like when he was talking about Terry Stotts, I'm like, Terry Stotts ain't out there fouling. He's not out there committing three fouls in the first quarter. Right. That ain't a Terry Stotts. And now you're coming out of the game, and now, you, yeah, it's. So you, know, so, you know what that's called, don't you? It's called ego. <laughs> He's got a big ego. Yep. His ego is getting in his way. He can't succeed because his ego is too big. But anyway. But I do think that he can be successful. I really do. I still, I look at him and I'm like, man, if that guy just ever puts it all together, you know, for a solid 30 minutes a game for 70 games straight. When I like think he that's did the point. When they were going to make. the point, though, is that, yeah, what, unfortunately, it seems like Nurk can't get out of his own way because he's got some sort of mental block that prohibits him from, from putting it all together. And, you know, as a fan, you see that because he, he'll, he'll come out one night, put together the most ridiculous double double you've ever seen. And then the next yep. night lay a complete egg. Do you guys remember Tim Gergerich? Oh, Gerg yeah. was an assistant coach when I was here and Gerg, not, not Gerg's not only a great basketball mind. He's also a philosophical basketball coach, right? And Gerg told me one time that great players are good every night. Think about that. They're not great tonight, bad tomorrow, good the next day, okay one night. Great players are simply good every single night. So, so they, they get to that level. Nurk's not a great player. Nurk's barely a good player because he's all over the place. You guys just said it. I got 17 and 14 and three blocks on Monday. And then on Tuesday, I go out and I get four points and two rebounds and seven fouls or six fouls. Um, like seven fouls Gerg also used, what game are we playing? I know, right? <laughs> I, I think, he's, in the, he's, uh, he's playing summer league. Summer again. league ball, exactly. I spent so many years in the summer league. But 
so one of the things that Gerd used to tell me all the time was don't try to replicate the game. Just let it come to you. And what he meant by that was if I had a, a great game, for me, eight points, eight rebounds is a great game. He would tell me, don't try to go out and get eight points and eight rebounds. Just go out and play hard and let it come to you. But your ego gets in the way and I want to replicate that eight points and eight rebounds. So I'm out there pressing and stressing and when a shot doesn't go in, I'm in my head now. And that's what I think happens to Nurk. He has a good game and he feels like he can do that every night, which he can, but you can't think about it. You just got to let it happen. And he hasn't figured that out yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, we even got we got him by accident. Got right? him by accident. So yeah, he's been a plus. He would be a real plus if we had an actual starting center on the roster. Yes. How long do you give this team to figure it out? Oof, new GM is going to come in here and rupture stuff right away, if I'm being honest with you. I think, but I don't think the new GM is going to come in and get rid of CJ the way people would think. Mm-hmm. Um, he's going to try to save CJ unless you're getting, I mean, seriously, who would it be? Cat. Unless you're getting, yeah, I don't even want Cat. Cat's never made the playoffs. Uh, that's true. Right? Uh, what is, what's with all that talent they have in Minnesota? Why hasn't he ever made the playoffs? Something ain't right. Not that it would ever happen, what? but I see a lot of people talking about the Blazers tr- should be making a trade or a push for Draymond. Um, not now. Not with him at ten wins. Yeah, yeah. Not, not, not him. You know what? I'll tell you who I would look at if I were the Blazers and I was going to make a trade and the only way I'm giving up a guy like CJ is if I can get a guy like a Julius Randle. Mm-hmm. Right? Younger, a little bit younger, different position, but he's now proven that he's bona fide in the league. Um, Harrison Barnes. No, I would never give up CJ for Harrison Barnes. Oh, not for, not for CJ, oh, just but, to bring okay. him in. If you can get... Yes. Yeah, if you can get, a, get your hands on Harrison Barnes. If I could give up Nurk, for Harrison Barnes all day. As a matter of fact, I would love to see a Nurk and whoever else for Harrison Barnes and Marvin Bagley. Jr. I was gonna bring up Marvin. Oh, I love Marvin Bagley. He stole Jr. it from me, Tone. Right. I like Marvin. That's a guy that I think you could get for cheap, and I think if you can get a Harrison Barnes, somebody who's got a bigger salary that Sacramento might be willing to dump, right? You can maybe pry that out of Sacramento. And I'm going to give you Nurk, but I don't know. And and this is this will be unpopular as hell. But maybe you got to give up a normal Simons. Power. Oh hell no! I'm never giving up Simons either. No, but that's what they're going to want, right? I mean, if you're Sacramento, you're going to want the young guy that's making no money that you can count on for 20 points a game, making four and a half mil. Well, can but but where does he fit in Sacramento's rotation? They got De'Aaron Fox and they got Fox, Halliburton healed and healed. Mm-hmm. So I don't yeah. know if he fits with their rotation. Mm-hmm. Right, who's not gonna play? Uh, but I like Simons. I tell you, I like Nance Jr. I've always been a, a fan of Larry Nance because he plays hard. He just hasn't um, put it together yet. No. Should he be starting over Covington? No. Another tough call. I like Rocco. I actually think Rocco is one of the guys in the starting lineup who is a starter because he doesn't need the ball to be successful. Mm-hmm. He'll mm-hmm. find Dame and CJ can find him and he can knock down shots and he can defend. Well, here's the thing about Rocco that I like is 
when he's on the court, you're not worried about him. You're not worried about right. him getting the ball anywhere on the court. You're not worried about him making the wrong play. He's the only guy yeah. that I'm not worried about on either end of the floor. That's why he's. I don't worry about him. Go ahead. Yeah. I, Norman Powell's the other guy that I feel like that. I, offensively and defensively, he's not a guy that I worry about on either side of the ball. I see. I, I, I like Norman Powell. I just don't know if he's championship caliber starter, right? That's hard for me. Uh, the reason I like Rocco is because he's a little bigger. He, and, and like you just said, he doesn't need the ball. But when he gets it, he can knock down a shot. He's going to defend. P.J. Tucker comes to mind. He's a P.J. Tucker mm-hmm. type player. Doesn't need the ball, defends, tough, willing to do the dirty things, the little things. He's a part of a championship caliber team if you have great players around him. Mm-hmm. Brown, right? Yep. If you've got Dame and CJ and let's say a Harrison Barnes type guy or some other high caliber center, then Rocco is the perfect guy. But you can't have Rocco out there with Nurk because you're missing something. You're missing two pieces now instead of just one. My opinion. Tone, do you do you see do you so see a trade here. coming? Oh yeah, oh yeah. It's just a matter of have to. Yeah, you got to. The new GM, whoever it is, is going to be like, man, we've had how many first-round exits in a row? Mm-hmm. We've made it out of the first round once in the last seven, eight years, whatever it is. I got to make sure that Dame is happy. Who can I go get? Who? Well, I'm going to put this out here because this guy has pissed me off, and I've been mad at him for 29 years. It's been 29 years Damn. since I liked Danny Ainge because he left for Phoenix. Right. We were supposed to sign him back. We were supposed to sign him back after the 92 finals, and he he dipped, and he went to Phoenix. If Neil Olshay is let go, and that GM position becomes open, if Danny wants to absolve himself of those <laughs> sins, he's more than welcome to come back to Portland. Isn't he from and here? And do what he did in Boston. Isn't he? Yeah, he's from Eugene. So, or um, is it Eugene or Medford? One of the two. He's from somewhere in Oregon. So, as far as I'm concerned, Danny Ainge can come home. Uh, he's proven that he can put together a championship caliber team, not once, but twice. Right. Mm -hmm. So I like Danny Ainge. Um, I don't know. I don't know if there's any other guys I would look at for the GM job. I think Danny Ainge is going to be the front runner and I think Neil is going to be fired. I don't, I don't know how the Blazers recover from this. Dwight came out earlier today and said that there's some big news coming tomorrow on him. Oh, well then that's, that means he's going to be fired. It's a Friday too. They, you know what they do on Fridays. <laughs> oh, so I'm not gonna put. You know, obviously I won't put anybody's name out there, but I can tell you that I've gotten at least three emails from people within the organization that are on that side that have said things along the lines of, "We're finally getting rid of him." Yeah, we we know a couple guys that have sent us some messages too through social media and just let us know that they're. That it's it's bad. It's bad. I mean, that's what they're saying. I mean, the people that we've talked to, they've said, you know, it's it's real and it's bad. Yes, and the and the people and here's the thing: when you have a guy like Neil, when he's hot, you don't want to say anything against him because you know he's gonna burn your house down. But now he's on the ropes, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so everybody is taking their shot because they never had this shot before, mm-hmm. and I, I think that. I think the, the practice facility lit him up. 
because they did a lot of the interviews about, you know, from people at the PF. I believe the PF lit him up and the truth came out and there's no way to come back from it. And if he gets fired, hey, no better person to, no, no person deserves it better as far as I'm concerned than him. And we, we don't, this is not five years ago, you know what I mean? Like, you, there's no coming, we live in a day and age now where once the cat's out of the bag, there's no putting it back in, ever. Cancel culture. He will never have another job in the NBA. But And I'm not a fan of cancel, cancel culture. But in this situation, they got it right. But there are certain people, yeah. Right? There are certain people that sometimes, and again, I'm not a Neil hater, you know. I just wanted to get your opinion too because we've heard it from some other guys um, as well that, and, and you know what's what's really sad is, I really think that's he's a lot of the reason why when I left, I never wanted to go back around. Mm-hmm. I haven't been, been I haven't been to a Blazer game since I left, and it was because of him. Because as soon as, as soon as all of this stuff broke, I was like, oh, shit, I need to reach out because I want to come check some games. Right? Like I started feeling <laughs> good about the team again. As soon as he leaves, we'll take you and to a game, Tom. <laughs> it's that bad I hate bad energy man I am so blessed mm-hmm. that I, I've surrounded myself with good people now mm-hmm. right I don't wake up in the mornings and dread seeing anybody in my life from my wife you know obviously to my kids <laughs> but even the, the, the people that work with us and for us right I look forward to seeing everybody in my life now because I don't have anybody with that negative energy and I don't have anybody who's narcissistic and he's a narcissistic soul He's getting his just desserts as far as I'm concerned. All right, Tone. Yeah, can you tell? Do you guys? Can you tell how I feel about him yet? Uh, not yet. Why don't you keep going? No, but <laughs> best interview we've had, though. I'll tell you Look, that. This, this is the is most a... honest and, and poignant interview we've yeah. had. Oh yeah. And uh, I, I do want to thank you for that. We've got. We still have a few more questions before we let you go. Yep. Does Dame retire a Blazer? Do you think this whole Olshay situation, so. the way it's panning out, do you think it it helps him stay? I tell you what, I don't think it hurts anything, and I don't think Dame had a bad relationship with, with Neil at all. Mm-hmm. I just think that there was so much negativity around the situation that it does start to to wear on people, mm-hmm. and I think that this will help Dame. I think a new GM won't be as beholden to their draft picks, and again. Nurk is, I want to make sure I say this, Nurk is a hell of a basketball player, right? So I'm not saying he doesn't belong in the NBA. I'm not saying he, but what I'm saying is if the Blazers are going to really go after a championship, they're going to have to look at some upgrades. That's a position they're going to have to look to upgrade, unfortunately. Um, But I think a new GM would be more willing to let Nurk go. Neil did not want to let Nerd go because he felt like that was something he could hold his hat on. Um, do you think Dame? Do you think Dame would let Nerd go for the right piece? Hell yeah! Yeah. I mean, who? I mean, we could name. I guarantee you, we could run across four or five guys that we could look at and say that's an upgrade. That's an mm-hmm. upgrade. That's an upgrade. I'm, I'm not. I'm um, not arguing there. There aren't uh, that there are upgrades out there. I'm just John Collins. <laughs> I'm just oh I'm just God. curious yeah. the the relationship. Ron Collins drafted the Ron Collins. <laughs> you know what, how about the guy? Okay, so let's just look at it. Jared Allen from uh Cleveland. Um the guy that, that that the Hawks got from Houston, uh Clint Capella. 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 Yep. Right? Uh shucks. 
I would, you know who I would love to have back? This is going to sound crazy. One of the Lopez boys, either one of the Lopez mm -hmm. boys, because they play their position and they don't need the ball and you don't have to worry. Here's my issue with where the Blazers are. And this, and this is something that Chauncey's dealing with. They can't be a good defensive team because they don't have a good defensive center. They don't have anybody that can clog up the post the way a Robin Lopez or a Brooke Lopez can, the way a Hassan Whiteside did. They don't have that guy. Um, and, and I put it in perspective this way. Everybody talks about Bruce Bowen being a great defender. I don't know if he was or wasn't. I do know that having Tim Duncan and David Robinson in the post behind you makes it a lot Made easier. Made his life a lot easier. Right? It's a lot easier mm -hmm. to be a great defender because you're not going to blow by me because you know if you do, I'm going to run you in the, in the, in the Timmy. And he's going to block your shot or contest it. When you have those types of guys back there, it makes your defense better. And I don't know that Chauncey's going to get his just desserts on the defensive side until they make a move like that. Speaking of Chauncey, how much blowback do you think that he's going to get? Because when he was hired, they made a big to-do about his relationship with Olshay from their time with the Clippers. Um... I don't, I, I don't think there'll be much in the way of a blowback. I think people may try to put them together, but the truth is Chauncey's got a ring, mm -hmm. right? And Chauncey's got a reputation for being the kind of guy that can get rings. So I don't think we're going to see that blowback as far as that relationship. And to, be, and to be clear, Neil made that relationship a whole hell of a lot bigger than Chauncey did, if you think about it. Who was the guy mm -hmm. talking about how close they were? Yep. It was Neil. Because he wanted to get his guy in the in in the in the seat, mm -hmm. Chauncey was like, "Yeah, whatever, man. Just give me the job. Uh, yeah, I'm your guy. Give me the job." And we're big Chauncey fans. I mean, we're not even we we're not even shy about it. I, we love the Chauncey hire. Man, it was. It, you know what? So from a bat from a purely, it might be the one thing he did right. The yeah. one thing from a purely basketball standpoint, Chauncey's going from be a basketball great. standpoint. Yep. Um, and here's what I really liked about what Chauncey did. And it speaks to his mindset. Chauncey hired Scott Brooks, former head coach, to help him understand game decisions. Mm -hmm. A lot of young coaches are afraid of having a former head coach on their on their on their team because they see the next guy. Chauncey didn't give a shit about that. He wanted the best, most qualified guy sitting next to him to help him be great. That's how I know he's going to be great as a head coach. Mm -hmm. I think I think we're all excited to see. Chauncey put it together. Um, yep. You know, the, as we're sitting here talking about teams of, of yesteryear, uh, we didn't bring up a team. Well, I just want to bring up a player, really. Brandon Roy. Oh. How special was Brandon? Oh. And the natural. What, the natural, yes. And I I know it had you had to have felt it, too. When he had to retire, that was like a dagger to the heart. Listen, Brandon came into the game ready, right? Like year one, day one, he was ready. Um, I've never seen a player adjust to the league that fast. Mm -hmm. Not Kobe, not KG, not, well, maybe Mike. But at his, at, you know, his second and third years in the league, Brandon might have been the closest thing that Kobe the league had. You couldn't stop him. Yeah. 
Like you literally could not stay. He played at his own pace. He, you couldn't get him off his line. He was strong as an ox, right? So it was, it was something special about dude. Um, but I tell you, the guy who we really never got a chance to see was Greg. Yeah. Oh my God. When I look at Greg Oden, you know what? The first person that comes to mind is the boy in Philly, Joel Embiid. Mm-hmm. He had everything that Embiid has, but more athletic. I was going to say, yeah. but he could jump and he could yeah. move. Yep. The biggest difference is that right there. I think, you know, yeah. And, and then, you know, LaMarcus and all of his things, but having a chance to be around Brandon, and he was the most humble dude in the world. On top of being so great, he was crazy humble. Mm-hmm. Do you do you still so, yeah. do you still hear from him at all? Uh, you know what? I don't hear from Brandon as as much, but I'm I'm still in in contact almost daily now with Jay Jensen. Oh, really? And Jay talks to Brandon on a regular basis. So, one of the things as a fan that that kind of drives us a little crazy is once Brandon left, Brandon left. You don't hear yeah. anything about Brandon. I mean, you hear what you hear in the news or whatever, but there's no correlation mm-hmm. between him and the Blazers anymore. Why is that? Um, so there's there's a term I like to use. Some players play the game. Some players let the game play them. Brandon was a basketball player, but it, but it wasn't his life, mm-hmm. right? The game never played Brandon. B-Roy loved basketball, played hard, worked hard at it. But he also enjoyed being Brandon Roy, the normal dude. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why when he left, <laughs> I don't have to hold on to the memories. I don't have to do any of that stuff. Man, I'm out of here. I'll see you guys when I see you. Yeah. And I think that's where he is. He's happy. He has a level of happiness that has nothing to do with basketball. Which is which looks like his playing days, too. You know what I mean? Like, like you were, the humility part. Yep. Like, this is... With a couple of exceptions, you know the the, the buzzer beater against Houston that, uh, and then the game that that uh, Dallas game four. Whew. When he just went it off. When he came, was it was it no? It was Phoenix when he came in off the bench. Mm. Well, there's that one, but then he scored the, those the 18 points yes. in the fourth quarter against yeah. Dallas. And Nate, after after Nate wasn't playing him. And and what was it? Uh, Sean Marion was. I mean, Sean was all defensive team. Oh, he was giving Sean. I was at that game, and he was giving Sean the business. <laughs> but then. You know what? I can't even blame Sean. B gave everybody the business. That's why he was an all-star. Mm-hmm. That's why he's considered one of those guys who we never got to see their greatness because he got hurt so soon. But he was special. Well, yeah, he, on- he, he only played six special. years. Smart. Six years. Yeah, yeah. And just the sm- one of the smartest guys I've ever seen, too. Yeah, and super athletic. Like people don't realize Brandon had a forty-inch vertical coming out of high school, and if it hadn't been for the knee injuries. We, you know, we never got a chance to see that. But imagine a, a Blazer team with Brandon and Dame on it. That'd be insane. That would be the most ridiculous backcourt. Although I gotta say, Dame and CJ ain't a bad mix. And at they're all. still a ridiculous backcourt. Yes. So yeah, besides besides Dame and CJ, who's your favorite current Blazer? Current? Yeah. Do you have one? Mm. Yeah, you know what? I like I like Nazir Little. Yep. Really like the way he's, I like his motor. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's developed some skill. I thought he was a motor only guy when he came in, but now he's starting to develop some real game. Now he's got a bright future. 
he's a guy that I could see starting a Jerome Kersey type starter, right? In two years, I could totally see him starting at the power four position. Tone, you don't know this. Being a three and D. You don't know this, but you just completely validated me. <laughs> I've been smoking this. I've been smoking this hole for that comment for, and at now I can't see it. At the beginning of the season, I said this guy reminds me. He's got he's got Jerome Kersey vibes to me. Absolutely, same motor. You know, he does all of the stuff, but then I think he might even have. He might be a little bit more advanced than 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 Rome was at the start of his career. You know, Jerome developed an offensive game. Mm-hmm later on but early on it was just run dunk well rebound. he was never going to be outworked by anybody exactly. and that's and that's, that's what i see little. from nas yep i think he's got a bright future i think dame cj simons and nazir little would be the four probably the four untouchable yeah and again i always have to say this when i'm when we're talking about players this is not to belittle anybody else on the roster right this is not to take away from anybody else's talent it's to say that if I'm building my roster, it's those four guys first, and then I'll figure out the other pieces. Because now I've got two starters at, at, at the uh, one and two. I've got a power forward, right, and I'm really happy with. And then I've got a backup one, two, and Anthony Simmons, Simons. So I like those four guys. And then you can sprinkle in some other pieces. You know, if you got a, 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 a Robert Covington or Norman Powell, you know, I think you can find a place for him, but I'm definitely starting with those four. Thanks a lot, Tone. I'm now I'm never going <laughs> to talk about it. Well, I'm glad I had we got another dude that too that he, I know if when he listens to this recording, he's going to be like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, that's Tone, uh, this that's kind of wraps up the questions we got for you. Um, we really appreciate you coming on, but I do want to give you some time at the end of the show. Um, to tell our listeners where they can find you, what you're getting into. The floor is yours, my friend. Plug that biz. <laughs> Plug it. You know, I, I, you know. Well, you know, I left. I left the Blazers to start in the cannabis space, and my wife and I have had a great run. Are having a great run. We started in a 1,500 square foot building. We moved to a, and now we're in a almost 8,000 square foot canopy. So we've really grown tremendously in that space. What I'm most proud of is what we've got coming next. Um, we've we we're working with a with a group out of the Midwest that figured out the how to crack the water code. And I don't know if you guys are aware, but your body doesn't absorb oil readily. So when you when people use cannabis, especially edibles, they're taking cannabis oil, and the body rejects about 95% of it. So if you take a, whatever it is, 95% of it is gone right away. Not to mention oil and water don't mix. So when you try to do a drink or something like that, you end up with something that has a bunch of oil on the top and water on the bottom. But we managed to crack that. So we now have a, a cannabis product that's water-based, right? So the, oil, the what used to be oil, the THC, instead of being oil, it's now water. So it absorbs into the body better and once we found out we had the technology, we had to figure out ways to utilize it. And what we decided on was we're now trying to create an alcohol alternative. And I don't know if you guys use cannabis or anything like that, but cannabis has been proven to be good for the body in the right dosages. Alcohol has never been good for the body. 
So what we did was we took things that people are familiar with, flavors and names and stuff like that. And we've got a, a Long Island iced tea that's coming out that we took the alcohol out of and replaced it with, with THC and CBD. So you get a little bit of a buzz, just like you would if you drank a regular drink, but it doesn't hit you all at once. You feel it relatively quickly and you can drink it socially. Like that to me, the science of cannabis is where I love it the most. We've got a sparkling rosé, we've got a margarita, we've got a lemon lime spritzer. Like we're doing things that are normalizing cannabis in the space, but not in a in a stoner way, but more in a conscious, feel better, love your life lifestyle lifestyle kind of way. Yeah, like we're changing. Yeah. We're literally trying to change the way people consume cannabis and think about cannabis from a consumption standpoint. That's fantastic. Um, if I'm with that, if I did uh, partake in cannabis, I would definitely buy your product. But unfortunately, my day job is at a hospital and I cannot partake. <laughs> don't do it. I don't want people getting fired for utilizing cannabis. However, I will say that as we start to normalize cannabis more, we're going to create products that don't interfere with your day job. Like I said, we want you to drink. So we have, uh, for lack of a better term, it's a sparkling spritzer, right? So it's it's got it's everything that those other spritzers are, but you drink it at the same pace you would a White Claw or whatever other drink. So if somebody's drinking a beer, you can drink a beer, but instead of poisoning your body with alcohol, you're enhancing your body with THC. I dig so it. So you're not going to get super stoned. And, and eventually we'll take away those archaic laws that say you can't use THC. Well, that was going to be my question. You guys have, I mean, it, it only makes sense for you guys to have some people behind you that are going to push for some deregulation of this. Everybody is pushing for deregulation. As a matter of fact, if you guys are around this weekend, you should come check us out. We have a tasting for our, we actually have a tequila spritzer. So it, it it's tequila based. It's a spritzer, but it smells like OG Kush. <laughs> Completely messy, but it tastes like lemon lime or hibiscus, depending on which one you take. So imagine that mix up. Tastes like lemon lime, hits like tequila, smells like OG Kush. I don't know what you're talking about, Tone. Where are we at? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, if it, I, I mean, hy hypothetically, <laughs> if we were going to slide by this well, this week, where would we be sliding well, to? Well, keep in mind, it's there's no alcohol. I'm sorry, there's no there's no THC. There's no cannabis at all. It's just a smell. Mm -hmm. Interesting. I'm, so, so, so where where are you doing are this? Where are you doing this tasting so our listeners can so, find you? Mazatlan, I believe it's Mazatlan in Oregon City. Oregon City one? Okay. Yep. But check us out. You'll man. be there too? Yo, I'll be there Saturday from six to eight. Fantastic. Well, Tone, thank you so much for coming on the show, man. We really appreciate you uh taking the time to to spend with us, taking your evening uh to spend with us. Uh for for our listeners who yeah. don't know, Tone was eating dinner with his family. <laughs> <laughs> well, you guys invited me on and I don't get to talk about it much, Lane. I think we talked about it earlier. I don't do a lot in the NBA space anymore, but with everything that's going on, I want to make sure people don't give up on the Blazers, right? Neil O'Shea is a bad apple, but the Blazers are still a hell of a team. Yep, absolutely. Well, you're more than welcome to come on anytime, Tone. We appreciate it. Just let me know, guys. I appreciate absolutely. it. Absolutely.
Shout out to my co-hosts, the Encyclopedia Foster, the Basketball Podcast Network, DraftKings, and especially you, our listeners, Twitter followers, and Bucket Busters. You make it so easy to keep stepping up to this mic. Don't forget to rate, follow, and subscribe if you're digging what we're saying. Be good to each other, Rip City. We'll catch you next time on the Busted Bucket Podcast. Thanks for listening.